Please join me now in the Old Testament reading today. It comes from the chapter Exodus. 33 verses 12 through 23. It's located on pages 92 through 93 in your Pew Bible. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. So our scripture passage for this morning, our New Testament reading, will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. It's on page 1186 of the Bibles that you have. I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn there now and to keep it with you. Uh, during our meditation this morning. While you're turning there, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about what we'll do here in the next couple of weeks. When I realized that I would be moving my family here to Zurich to pastor this congregation uh, right away, as probably most preachers do, I started thinking, what am I going to preach to them right away? Uh, Maybe I should preach through the Gospel of Matthew. After all, that's how Ulrich Zwingli, 500 years ago, when he was called to pastor in Zurich, uh, that's how he started. He took a big risk and began preaching straight through Matthew's gospel week after week. But Zwingli and I are different, and Zurich and you all are different 500 years later, so I'm going to do something different. Instead, I'm going to take a different risk. Up until our retreat... Uh, In the next six weeks, we'll have a a small series of six studies that we're going to call People and Pastor, People and Pastor. And this is a risk for a couple of reasons. When I shared this idea with my wife, she said, so you're just going to talk about yourself for six weeks? Uh, No, I'm going to try not to. There's also the risk, of course, that in a series like this, I might wear my heart too much on my sleeve and share with you too much too soon. There's a risk that you might feel like I'm putting burdens upon you, 
a risk that I might set the bar too high uh, for what I can be for you and you can be for me. Ultimately, though, I think it's worth the risk. Let's sit at the feet of the Apostle Paul and some of his teaching from 1 Thessalonians and a couple from 2 Corinthians in the next six weeks. And I want us to discover together the heartbeats for, of Paul for the relationship between people and pastor and really even his vision for leaders and elders and teachers and learners and disciples, how they can live together in Christian harmony for the sake of the gospel. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and following. This is God's word. Paul writes, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. My brother Sam gave me a copy of Thomas Akempis' famous book, The Imitation of Christ, over the summer before I moved, and he gave it to me in German. Now, it happens that I had already been reading this book, The Imitation of Christ, in English, and after a year of intensive German courses, I hope maybe then I'll finally be able to read it in German. You may know that two of your former pastors, uh, Richard Davis and Doug Brower, have recently published books. Let me ask you this. Wouldn't it be awkward if instead of the titles that they gave these books, Richard's is Internal Affairs and Doug's is, of course, How to Become a Multicultural Church, what if your former pastors had written books called The Imitation of Doug or The Imitation of Richard? Would you buy those books? You might, just to be nice, but it would be a little awkward, wouldn't it? The thing is, though, If you pulled together all of Paul's teaching in the New Testament and his letters, all of the times when he calls upon God's people to imitate him as he imitates the Lord Jesus, and then if you played publisher and you added a preface and an intro and a conclusion and a postscript and some cute illustrations, then you would have yourself a book called, roughly, The Imitation of Paul. But shouldn't we be imitating Christ instead of mere women and men? Isn't it better to follow the sinless savior rather than sinful servants of his? But Paul doesn't hesitate, does he, in his teaching? In other letters, he simply says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here in our passage, he says, 
that he can tell that these Christians at Thessalonica have been chosen by God. Why? Because, verse 8, they've become, they've taken great strides in imitating him. What's going on between people and pasture with all of this imitation? First, let's look at people in Thessalonica and here at IPC Zurich. Then we'll look at pastor, at Paul, at at Timothy, at Titus, and then a little bit at Andy and Sam, for that matter, and others. And finally, we'll look squarely at the Lord Jesus himself. So first, people. You first. How would you react if someone came up to you and they said, I've been meaning to tell you this. I have noticed significant Christian growth in you recently. German speakers, I'm learning, would probably be almost obliged to say what? Doch, doch, right? No, it's nothing. Really, it's nothing. But for for Paul, visible growth in grace in our lives is an indicator that God has chosen us by his love. It's a sign that Jesus has put his love to work on your heart, in your life, and he's done so in such a way that you will never be the same. And so when someone says, you know, I've seen some real growth in you. You don't get angry so quickly anymore. Lately, you've been listening more than you've been speaking. I can see you being tender with your wife. I can see you being patient with your husband. You're gentler with your children. You're more respectful of your parents. When someone says this, at least from Paul's perspective, your heart should be encouraged. You don't have to say, oh, no, I'm still a mess. I don't, I don't know how God could still love me. I'm, I'm a total wreck. Instead, you can say, thank you. It's been a real struggle for me. God has been so patient with me. He must love me because he's allowed his truth and his love and his grace to sink down now into a level of my heart so that I'm not quite the same person anymore. And you know what you should also really say, most of the time, if you're being honest, you should say, well, actually, I've been convicted about my anger, my impatience, my disrespect, my quickness to speak, or whatever it is. I've been convicted because I've been watching a few Christians in my life closely, and I've watched them love other people with great genuineness. And it's caused me to come to my knees and to repent. And now, I'm just imitating them. And then when a body of believers, a church, collectively looks up to leaders who model the love of Christ in action, and those believers begin imitating those leaders, do you know what happens? Well, at least in Thessalonica, others then from outside of the church, begin to model their character and their lives on that exceptional church. Rick Steves tells us that in Lausanne, maybe you've seen this yourself, there's a tower, and there's still a man who climbs up into the tower. Has anybody seen this themselves? And he calls out the hours, right? Used to be a thing that would happen in every town. Paul says that the Thessalonian church had climbed the tower themselves, that their faith and their love in both words and in deeds 
had rang out throughout the world. Not just in the region nearby, but everywhere. And having been imitators of Paul, they were now being imitated by Christians all over. Our mission here in Zurich is to climb the tower ourselves and to call out to our city and also to the world, to call out the hours, to call out that, yes, while we don't know the day or the hour of our Lord's return, still, this is the day that the Lord has made. And this can be, for anyone who trusts in Christ, the hour and the day of salvation, if they embrace his love, if they follow him. A people, a church, who imitate their pastor and their leaders as those pastors and leaders imitate Christ is a people who become, verse 7, a model, a type for Christians everywhere to follow. A people who not only grow in grace as individuals, but who together become the aroma of Christ everywhere they go, drawing others into the imitation of Christ. And doesn't that vision compel you? Don't you want to be such a people? But for now, let's turn to pastor. What is Paul's vision for the pastor and his people? My old pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, he used to say that if someone would come up to him in the middle of the week and say, hey, preacher, what in the world does it mean to be a Christian anyway? That he should be able to tell that individual to go and follow this or that elder, this or that deacon, this or that Sunday school teacher, to follow them around for a week, to watch them work, to listen to them pray, to notice how they nurture their children, how they love their spouse, what they do with their money. And then he says, you can come back in a week after following them and you can tell me what it means to be a Christian believer. Now, in some parts of our postmodern culture, imitation is almost a dirty word, isn't it? Now, in Korea, and from what I can tell here in Switzerland, this is not so much a problem as I detect in the United States of America, in the U.S., uh, individual expression, the idea of being yourself, is valued almost above everything else imaginable. But in ancient cultures, and in some cultures today, Imitation is a prized part of personal growth. The Thessalonian church, Paul said, had become imitators of him and of Timothy and Titus, verse 6. In particular, he says that they have turned, verse 9, from idols and they have turned to the Lord Jesus instead. When Paul describes this turn from idolatry that the Thessalonians made, we shouldn't think to ourselves, oh, okay, so these pagan people, they stopped being polytheists and they became monotheists instead. Okay, good, finally, it's about time. Maybe they did do that. But rather what Paul is saying is that this church, Gentiles, though they were, like himself, Paul, of course, was always a good monotheistic Jew who believed the right things about God and studied his Bible night and day, Paul says these Thessalonian pagans had, like Paul himself, they had stopped doing their idolatry. They had stopped using religion and spirituality and culture that comes with it to try to get and to keep power and wealth and prestige for themselves. 
And instead, they imitated Paul by throwing themselves on the mercy of the Lord Jesus. Instead of clinging to power through religion, they clung with Paul to the one who has all power and wealth, the one who for our sakes became weak and poor so that in his weakness and in his poverty, we might become rich and strong. Instead of grabbing at stuff and status and using spirituality to get and keep it, these Thessalonians, verse 10, began to wait with Paul for Jesus and for his arrival from heaven, that day when his power and wealth will fill the earth and will fill, finally, our very lives to overflowing. They watched Paul's own transformed life from Jewish idolater to Jesus truster. And they saw the difference that Jesus trusting made in Paul's life, and they imitated him. They went from Gentile idolaters to Jesus trusters themselves, and their lives began to radiate as they imitated Paul. And so if you want this radiance of Christ in your life, if you want this radiance radiance in the life of our church, then it's right for you to pause before imitating your pastors, your elders, your deacons, your teachers, to pause and to ask yourself, are they, my pastors and others, scrambling to secure status and stuff and security? Are they really worthy of imitation? Are their hearts and their lives fixed on the return of the Lord Jesus? Are they faithful guides in my own Christian pilgrimage? If I imitate them, will I also be imitating Christ? Do their lives radiate with growing Christ-likeness? Would my life radiate more and more with Christ-likeness if I followed them? And above all, ask yourself before you enter in on this imitation of your leaders, what kind of riches and significance are they willing to forfeit today for now in order on the last day when Jesus returns to hear from their Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. Now if the answer is yes, my pastors and my elders and my deacons and my leaders, my mentors, they do radiate more and more week after week and year after year with the love of Christ. Then Paul would have us imitate them as they imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus has, as it were, put them here to be the visible holiness of Jesus as a pattern for you all. So if they're true in following Christ and imitating him, then imitate their speech and their patience and their respectfulness and their gentleness. And in so doing, you'll imitate them as they imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. But enough about you and enough about me, at least for the moment. Let's look for a moment back at the beginning of our passage. A close look at verse 4 is vitally important. Paul says, right out of the gate, we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Question. Do your good deeds make God choose you? Have we earned his love by our good behavior? Or how about this? When we successfully imitate worthy pastors, 
does God then turn to us with a face of love? No. Paul says that the love of God is the only reason that we've been chosen in the first place. If there is fruit in my life, if there is fruit in your life, whether we're imitating one another or someone else as they imitate Christ, if there's fruit, then it can be the evidence and it can give us great assurance of God's love. But God doesn't love us because we're good. We grow in grace because free grace and abundant love are the soil in which the fruit of the Spirit builds up in our lives bit by bit. You see, the gods that the Thessalonians left behind, did they love them? No. Those gods didn't love them. And stuff and status and security, the gods that we're tempted to worship, will they love us? Not for a moment. As some, many people have said, idols are harsh taskmasters. They will simply demand more and more from us. But when the message of the love of God came to Thessalonica, Paul says it, it transformed them. And the same with us. Our security in the love of God is what sparks genuine, authentic holiness and goodness in me and in you. Otherwise, people and even God are just in the way of our devotion to security and status and stuff, the idols that tempt us. We can't serve idols and love God and others at the same time. But God's prior love to us has given us, has given us by his free grace, all of the security and the status and the stuff, for that matter, we have a wealthy inheritance awaiting for us in glory, within which we are free now to love others freely. Paul saw the love of God captivate the Thessalonians when he preached the gospel to them. And then he saw, along with the rest of the world, verse 8, the result of God's love for, for them, genuine love for one another in both words and in deeds. In other words, true and real holiness radiating from the Thessalonian church. Don't you long for that? To be a church of pure and rich, grace-filled radiance for the sake of those around us in our city and those in the world. You know, when we just say, oh, we should imitate good Christians and be more like Jesus, that puts all kinds of pressure on us, doesn't it? But if we step back and we say, brothers and sisters, we have been so loved by God, and now out of that love is flowing fruit and holiness and genuineness and authentic Christ-likeness bit by bit, and more and more as each year passes. When this happens, when our focus is on the love of God in Christ for us first, and our response to that in love back to him and others, then this takes, well, it takes the pressure off of me. A relatively young pastor, a relatively young senior pastor especially. Because before I'm a pastor, and before I'm your pastor, what am I? I'm a Christian. And I have been embraced, thank God, by the love of Jesus. His love has enabled me more and more to quit serving the stupid idol of security, 
the idol of stuff, the idol of status. So this means I don't have to impress you superficially. I can just as one Christian to another love you. Instead, I get to swim myself in the love of Jesus deeply. I get to put my eyes on him, and I get to put my eyes on people who model the love of Christ to and for me. I don't have to fake it. I get to stand tall in his love and grace. And as he shines through me, I get the privilege of becoming a little bit better model for you all, along with the rest of our church leaders, for your imitation as we imitate Christ together. And for that matter, what pressure a focus on the love of Jesus takes off of you, the people of this congregation. Because before anything else, if you're trusting Christ, you are Christians. You've been embraced by the love of Jesus. His love frees you from uh, all of your cares about security and status and stuff that would weigh you down. And now you begin to care more and more, infinitely more, for his return in glory. And you long for that day. And when these dumb idols are now off of your back, you can follow hard after Jesus, even as you imitate worthy mentors and pastors and leaders among us. This kind of love that enables us to imitate Christ and to bear fruit that lasts, this kind of love, as the hymn says, is amazing and so divine. But this kind of love from the throne of God, through the life and death and resurrection and the second coming and glory of Jesus by the Spirit, this kind of love calls you and me to imitate him. It calls for your soul, for your life, for your all. And it calls for my soul and my life and my all as well. And so may this new season together as people and pastor be a season in which we all together to rediscover as if for the first time the riches of the grace and love of Jesus and as we grow together people and pastor may we imitate the Christ likeness that we find in each other as we imitate our dear Lord Jesus himself and while all of this happens may God smile a big smile of fatherly delight on us, his children, as we, imitating his precious son, Jesus, grow in the soil of his love to speak, to walk, to live, and to love, as he himself did and still does. May it be so, and may we see the difference that it makes in the radiance of our lives together. Amen? Amen. Amen.